Today, we are at part two of our series, Money Matters. And often when we hear, oh, our church is going to talk about money, we already freaked out a little bit. We're like, oh, they're just going to want my money. But we learned already last week that it is about so much more than it. Money matters. That's our topic because money really matters. And last week, we heard that God does care about our money, that God does care about our finances. Why? Because it has money is neither good nor bad, but it has the potential to not only amplify what is in our hearts, but it also has the potential to put our life on the path towards God or a path away from God. So we learned last week that we don't want to live with greed. We don't want to live um, with discontentment. We want to live in a place where we feel content with what God has given us. We want to live in a place um, where, we can, where our money has purpose more than just making it and spending it. And then we found out that the Bible actually has a word to describe this, and that word is stewardship. So stewardship is a word according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary that means it's the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. And we talked about it last week, that money, we don't actually own it. How do we know it? Because when we die, we leave it behind. It's like the rental car you leave at the airport. So the, we read in the Bible that everything in the world was created through Jesus and for Him. So even the money, even the stuff we own, somehow had its origin in God. And therefore, we are just careful and responsible managers of what he has entrusted to me. So this is my question, has been my question for years was, so okay, if I'm supposed to be a steward, so if I don't want money to have this like unhealthy hold on my life and I want a healthy hold, so if I want to be a good steward, how do I actually manage my money? What do I actually do with my money? And our topic today, very practical, is going to be a very practical topic, is spending money in a wise way, spending money in a wise way. And what I'm going to do is before I even go this further, we're going to jump right into a verse in the Bible that explains this whole topic to you, like in a sentence, in one line. So if you ever needed some wisdom in your life, you needed some advice on a difficult topic, there's a couple of books in the Bible that is wisdom literature, books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And when you go there, it's like literally just like line after line after line, like these bits of wisdom. And it can almost be like overwhelming when you read it. So today, if you've got your Bible, um, it's just one verse, so it will be on the screen as well. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says, Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling. In a what man's dwelling? A wise man, not a rich man, a wise man. But a foolish man devours it. Like a calorie, I don't, I'm not really big on oil, you know, I've got a bit of olive oil, but that's where it stops. So what does it actually mean? So I went to the New Living Translation that explains it so beautifully. It says the wise, again, who there? Wise, not the wealthy. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. So it's interesting when King Solomon, that was a very wise dude, and all the people who contributed to these books, when they wrote about things like this, they wrote from a place where the kingdom of Israel was built upon the wisdom of King David, upon the wisdom of, of King Solomon, the way they handled their finances, the way they handled everything God gave them. 
And what is interesting is that they do not say that the rich has wealth and oil and beautiful stuff and the poor spends it all. That's kind of like the way we think about money often. No, he says the wise have stuff in their house and the unwise just like eats through all of it. They are like a virus that just consumes kind of, right? So here is what I want to tell you today. When we talk about our money, when we talk about this topic, money matters, how do I spend? I want you to get this first. You don't just spend money. There's not like a neutral way to spend money. You either spend it wisely or you spend it foolishly. So either you are smart when it comes to money or you're dumb. That's literally what Solomon is saying. You're stupid or you're smart. And you will decide at the end of the day if you are going to spend your money wisely as a smart person or whether you're going to spend it foolishly like a dumb person. But the choice is up to you. So we're going to talk about a couple of very practical things today. We're going to say, what does it look like when I spend my money wisely? And before we do this, what we are going to do is we're going to look at the Bible at a couple of verses that gives us certain principles on how we can spend our money wisely. But before I do that, I first want to say I'm not a financial planner or advisor. There are actually financial planners and advisors in our church. So depending on your age, depending on how close you are to pension or where you fall, things might be a little different for you. So this doesn't mean like to the letter of the law, you have to follow this. These are general, bigger principles that the Bible talks about about how we should spend. And within those big principles, that's where you can figure out the details with someone that is probably more smart um, when it comes to this topic, a little clever, more clever than, than I am about this topic. But um, yeah, the first step, and we're going to go through three spending tips Three tips that will help you to spend your money wisely instead of spending it poorly. So the first spending tip today is be generous. Hear what this says, Acts 20 verse 35. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, not just anyone who said this, not just the financial advisors, this is the word of Jesus, is more blessed to give than to receive. And by the way, we said this last week that if we call ourselves Christian and we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, it's not just in, in a spiritual place. It's not just on a Sunday when we gather as a, as a church. It's not just when I do my Bible study. It should be in everything I should follow in his footsteps. Also in the way he says I should handle my finances. So Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now guys, this seems super weird to me. And I hope it seems a little bit weird to you as well, because I'm super happy when I get my salary. I'm super sad when I hand it out, right? It's like, no, no, no. Why, is this, why am I blessed when I'm, I'm handing out money, when I'm giving money away instead of when I'm, I'm getting it? Now, some of you might be like, Louis, that's obvious. So if you've got the gift of giving, my wife has the gift of giving, she will just hand out everything we own if she could. And it makes us so happy. And I'm like, no, 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 like... Like scale back a bit, right? It's not, it's not that good to give. But Jesus says, no, it is good to give. So I was wondering, why does it scare us when we hear a church talks about money? Why does it scare me when I hear that it's more blessed to give than to receive? And I think there's three reasons why it scares us. The first one, <clears throat> I think sometimes we are afraid of giving. We're afraid of hearing that we should give because we're really struggling financially. It's like, I, I, I don't want to hear this 
because I don't have enough to give away. But before I even say anything more about that, I want to tell you today that unless you are living on the breadline or below the breadline, then you don't fall into this category. So if you are above the breadline and you're like, Lou, but I'm struggling, I'm like, no, you're not struggling, you're spending your money foolishly. That's why you think you're struggling, because you weren't wise with it. If you're on the breadline or below it, then yes, then you're struggling. But most of us worry about this because we feel like we've over-indebted ourselves into other stuff, and now we feel like we're struggling. So I don't want to hear that I should give away because I have nothing. The second reason why I think we struggle is because we have seen it abused. Because I've also been in churches where I felt like, man, this is crazy. And we've all been in a place where we feel like they abuse it by saying, like, I should just give. And I feel like God just wants all my money or the church wants all my money or the guys for the rhinoceros, like, at the, they're always at the malls. They want all my money. And those people with the orphans, they want all my money. And, like, everywhere I want, everyone wants my money. And we feel like it's been abused so much that I almost don't want to hear about giving away. The third reason why I think we struggle to, why we are afraid of this, is because we have a scarcity mindset. And what does that mean? It means that I believe that stuff is limited. I only have this much, so I need to really protect it. I need to hoard it. I need to keep it safe because if this little bit runs out, I'm not going to have anything left. It's not that I don't have something. I'm afraid I won't have something. And here is the interesting part. All three of these, unless you're really living below the breadline, are false ideas. It shouldn't actually scare us. Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You see, generosity is not that God wants everything from us. We shouldn't be afraid because I don't have anything to give or, or because I think like God wants my all or because I actually want to hoard it. We should be excited Because God doesn't come to us and say, like, I want everything you own. No, we've got a God who's given everything he had. Jesus left the riches of heaven to come to earth. He walked in his sandals in the dusty streets of cities like Jerusalem. And it was not pretty, and it wasn't tarred, and and it wasn't clean. But he lived among people. And he gave up all the riches to the point where he finally gave up his life for us. And if we do know that God has already given us everything, and if we do know that everything belongs to God, then we should understand that God is not saying, I want everything of you, rather that He wants to add something to our lives. God is saying it's more blessed to give because He wants to bless us. He wants to add something to our lives. He wants to give us something when we are generous. It's a blessing. And if you're still not with me and you're like, maybe those three things, like maybe that's why I'm afraid, but I don't see a blessing to giving. Let's go through a couple of them, okay? If you have your Bible here, you can open to Matthew 6. I'm not going to have that on the screen, but we're going to work through a couple of verses there. But you can write this down and read it at home as well. So the first, and, and if you make notes, make notes of this. Because if you forget everything, and every time you want to give, and you're like, oh, no, I don't want to give. It sucks so much. You go to these four points, and then you will feel better, and you will, you will live a generous life. The first reason why we should be generous, the first benefit of generosity is that it's a remedy. Generosity is a remedy to materialism. 
We live in a world where marketing, where the whole world around us tell us that you need to acquire more stuff because if you have more stuff, you will feel happy, you'll feel good about yourself, your identity will be good. And then we get all the new fancy toys. We get a new cell phone, although our old one was good, and we get a new car, and we buy a bigger house, although the kids are already moving out. We don't even know why we're doing it, but I hope I'm going to feel a little better about myself. And then I feel so happy for two days, and then it's gone. So we keep adding. We think that life is all about the stuff I have. That's materialism. Then in Matthew 6 verse 19, Jesus said this. He said, don't store up treasures on earth where moths and vermin will destroy it and where thieves will steal it. Jesus is like everything you gather together, everything that's material in this world, you cannot take it with you. It's going to go to nothing. It's going to go back to dust. You can't hitch a little fender trailer to the back of your coffin and you arrive at heaven with a nice house and a car and bags full of money. That's not going to go with you. It's all going to stay behind. So Jesus is like, stop being materialistic because all of this stuff, there will be nothing left of this one day. Either the, sea, the thieves will steal it or the moths are going to chew through it, especially in Cape Town. Like we never had fish moth issues in Gauteng. I'm like, what's up with that? But it's going to happen. And this is the crazy thing. If we build our lives around materialism, we're going to keep being disappointed every time. So how do we remedy it? We start giving away. So suddenly it's not just about what I can acquire, but it's also about what I can give. So the first reason why we give is because it remedies materialism. The second reason is that generosity draws us closer to God. So in Matthew 6 in verse, in verse 19, we just spoke about it. He said, don't don't, don't store up stuff on, on earth. But then in verse 21, he says this, For where your treasure is there, your heart will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And I almost want to say, Jesus, but aren't you wrong? Isn't it like where my heart is, there my treasure is? Like, don't I, don't I like something and then I put my money behind it? Jesus like, no, no, often it goes the other way around. You buy, I remember I, had a, I bought a motorbike when I was a student. It was like a pearl black. So if it was standing in the sun, it had like red sparkles. Isn't it? It was beautiful. And I bought that motorbike. So I put my treasure into it to guess where my heart was. Like I would actually, this seems so crazy, but I did it. I sat after class and polished the rims of the motorbike. When I say polished, I don't mean like I washed it. I had a special metal polish for the rims. Right? You all know what I'm talking about. You get that new phone, man, you protect it so well. You get a new car, and like no one is allowed to eat in it. Because where our treasure is, our heart follows. So what this means is that we, whatever gets our money gets our attention. If you give your money to something, if all your money is thrown at the same thing, at, at material stuff, guess where your attention will be? At material stuff. But if some of our money goes towards things that impact God's kingdom, the things that are close to God's heart, His church, the poor, the orphans, the widows, whatever, all the, all the things that God talks about in the Bible that He says breaks His heart, when our money goes there, our attention also goes there. So our attention goes to the things that break God's heart. Our attention goes to God, and we get drawn closer and closer to God. That's why giving is such a good spiritual discipline. You see, we think about stuff like reading our Bible and prayer as a spiritual discipline. Because if I keep doing this consistently, I'm not doing it because it's a law. I'm doing it because the more time I spend with God, the closer I will get to Him. 
But then when it's like mine, it's like, uh uh-uh, that's mine. But it's actually an act of worship. Where when we give and we build that in as a discipline in our life, it also draws us closer to God because whatever gets my money gets my attention. So firstly, it remedies materialism. Secondly, it draws us closer to God. The third benefit is that generosity strengthens our faith. Not only are we drawn closer to God, but it teaches us to trust God more. And why am I saying this? I want to read you one of the most famous passages when it comes to giving in the Bible. And if you've been in church for more than a year, you've probably heard that somewhere already in that year, no matter what church you were in. But this is Malachi 3 verse 10. And this is what God says through the prophet. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then God says this weird word. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Malachi 3 verse 10. You can go and read it at home. But, but a couple of interesting things here. God says, bring the whole tithe. And throughout the Bible, from the time of Abraham, it goes all the way through, even before that. It goes all the way through, and Jesus talks about the tithe again in Matthew 23, 23. But the whole time, God talks about a tithe. And often in church, we're like, a tithe means what? Like, I've got my budget. After I've spent everything, I've got a little bit left, and then I give that to God, and then we call it a tithe. Uh-uh-uh. That is called the crumbs, or maybe an offering. A tithe literally means 10. It comes from the word 10%. So what literally happened in the Bible, that the best first 10% of the, the, the produce of the land, of whatever they had, would go to the temple. So God is like, I don't want the crumbs. I want the best 10% of what you have. But here's the interesting part. We're like, yeah, but 10% is a lot. If I have a little bit, 10% could be a meal. And I might not have food this month. And then when, it, and, and when you have a lot, you're like, but 10% is a payment on my new fancy car. So, so we think the more money we have, the less we should give because like, I'm giving a lot. God is like, no, no, it's not about the amount. It is about the sacrifice that stays, stays the same across the platform because it is enough for you to feel it, but it's not so much that you would go hungry. And here is the interesting part. How many times in the Bible, guess, how many times in the Bible does God say, taste me? Yes. Three times. Some people say it's only once, and then they refer to this. God actually says three times in the Bible, taste me. But here's the interesting thing. He only uses it once in the positive, and this is Malachi 3. Both the other instances where God says, taste me, He refers to it as something sinful that people are doing, testing God, like almost tempting God. In Malachi 3, it is put in a a favorable way. It's the only time when God says, you can taste me. Because God says, like, when you give, I want you to know that it will grow your faith. I want you to rely on my promises. I want you to trust me. I want you to believe that when you are faithful in your giving, your 10%, that I will expand that I will stretch your 90% so that you can do the same or even more with that 90% than you would have been able to do with 
Now suddenly it's not like, oh, but, but I make all my own money. No, so I just buried it well and I use it. Now we're like, no, no, no. I make money because it's a gift from God. So I give God a big enough portion, 10%, that I actually need God to make the 90% work. Now we're at a place where, where I actually need faith in my finances. It's actively putting God first. You want to put God first with your time. How do you do it? In the morning when you wake up, instead of opening Instagram or Facebook or the news app, you open your Bible, you spend time with God, and you pray. You put Him first in your day. So it means instead of freaking out about the coronavirus, you have peace because God said, I'm with you and I will protect you and take care of you. Okay? If we want to put God first with other stuff in our life, like our finances, how do we do it? We put Him on top of the budget, not at the bottom when we have nothing left but it's like give because it will take care of your materialism it will draw you closer to me it will put your focus on me and it will strengthen your faith you will learn to trust me but the fourth reason the fourth benefit of generosity is that it is an investment in eternity so in matthew 6 we heard that jesus said don't don't store all these treasures on earth that's 19. Verse 21, he said, where the treasure is, the heart will be. But in the middle, there's a little something else. In verse 20, he says, rather store up treasure in heaven. I'm like, okay, Jesus, where's that ATM? Or, or what's the bank detail so I can do an EFT to send some money to heaven? It doesn't exist because all material things will stay behind. You don't own it. It's like the car at the airport. You're going to go. It's going to be here. But what can we take with us? Souls of other people. Because what is the requirement, does the, the Bible teaches us that the only requirement for us to see heaven is not living a perfect life, but is faith in Jesus Christ, is acknowledging, knowing, believing that He's our Lord and knowing that He's our Savior. So we cannot take all our money with us, but when we invest our money, not in Sassel that crumbles, but when we invest it in kingdom-minded organizations or things that help people to meet Jesus, then suddenly when I get to heaven and all my money stays behind and Steinhoff crumbled and Sussel crumbled and everything is going crazy and I'm standing in heaven and I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't bring that bad stock with me. And suddenly my friend or my neighbor or my brother or my sister or someone that I didn't think would know Jesus are with me in heaven because I made a blue chip kingdom investment and that helps someone to meet Jesus. The investment in eternity, in the eternal lives of other people. So generosity remedies materialism, it draws us closer to God, it strengthens our faith, and it's an investment in eternity. So at the end of the day, generosity is a gift to us from God. That's why I said it's better to give than to receive. It is a gift from God to strengthen our faith, to focus us on the things that really matter. So now our money doesn't have no purpose. It's got purpose. It's got meaning. Our focus is right. Our heart is right. And it protects us from a life of selfishness. We all hate selfishness, right? I look at little kids. My daughter is 15 months old. And then she would try to play with older kids. And she would walk to them. And she would want to take the toy. And then they're like, no, mine. And then a mom would always step in like, no, bad, bad, Johnny. Like, share your toys. 
And then Johnny's like, no, no, it's mine. And then mom takes it and gives it to Abigail. And then the boy's crying and Abigail is all happy. We hate to see selfishness like in kids. So we discipline them. But I think what we often miss is that so many of us are, are selfish as well. We don't want to give. And God is like, I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to give you the gift of generosity that will not only focus you, but that will save you from that ugliness. So here's the first tip. When you're drawing up your budget, the first part is giving. I want to add my 10% of giving before anything else. The second spending tip is save for future need. Like what? Does the Bible actually say anything about saving? Yes, it does. Hear what we read in Proverbs um, 6, verse 6 to 8. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider it and its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at winter. By the way, when it comes to the ant, Jesus also speaks about the ant, and he says, look at the ant. Those of you who do not work will not eat. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be lazy, and you want to be a beggar of your, your whole life, don't be surprised if you don't have food, because we were made by God to work. So he says, in order to earn, we have to work. But we also have to be like an ant, and we have to take our harvest when it comes and save it for the winter months. And now maybe you're thinking, Louis, but the Bible also says don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow brings its own worries. That's Matthew 5 and 6. And you're like, so what now? Should I worry about the future or not? The Bible does say don't worry about the future. Jesus said that. But you see, there's a difference about worrying about the future and caring about the future. Worrying means that I didn't save, so I wake up and there's a problem. My car broke down, but I cannot pay for it. Interest rates went up and I don't have money to cover the difference in my bond. Or my child gets sick, sick and there's an extra payment I have to make and I didn't put anything away or I lose my job. So what happens now? Now I start worrying. So now what is worrying? It means I'm filled with anxiety. I'm laying awake at night. I'm stressing. I'm freaking out. My wife and I have fights constantly because we don't know what we're going to do. That's worrying. And we shouldn't worry. But in order to not worry, we need to care about the future. God wants to give us a future. And that means we should think about saving as well. One of the most beautiful examples in the Bible of caring about the future, not worrying about it, but caring about it and making provisions, saving for future need, is a boy named Joseph. And he was a slave in Egypt, and the Pharaoh had this weird dream that seven very thin cows walks up to seven really fat cows and just eats the whole, them like a life bomb, swallows them. And, and then he, he can't get an answer to what this, dreams mean, this dream means. So finally, Joseph comes to him, and he's like, King, this is what it means. There will be seven years of summer, seven beautiful years, seven years of harvest, and we harvest and we pack away, not because we're hoarding, not because I want to keep everything for myself. We, we receive God's blessing. Why, why did we say we receive it last week? To be a blessing. So we're going to pack this away. Because seven years are going to come where it's going to be like winter. There will be no harvest. And then we have this not only to use but to share with others. And finally, his family came and they could find food when they had nothing left. And all the people in the world that was worried could come to, to Egypt and they had food to eat because someone cared about the future. We said hoarding is bad. 
But we already sorted out hoarding, right? Because we're giving away. So now I don't think all my money is for me. My second step is now I need to put away. I need to put something in the barn. I need to save for the future. Our first text that we read today about the wise and the foolish. Where's that one? It said this in Proverbs 21 verse 20. Precious treasures and oil are in the wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So what does it, what does it say about the wise man? If the foolish man just uses everything, what does it say about the wise? Why does he have oil and treasure? Because he's also saving. He's also saving. So in Proverbs 13 verse 11, hear this. This honest money dwindles away. Or money that was earned really fast is another way to translate it. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. So if little by little you save, it will grow. So the first principle about being generous is investing in God's kingdom. The second principle about saving is investing in a healthy future so that when God sends opportunities across my way or when a problem strikes, that I don't have to freak out, that I don't have to be worried, but that I have provision to take care of it. So we said the first, let's give 10%. And this is not set in stone, but the second principle, though it's not set in stone, a good principle is let's save 10%. Let's save 10%. And then the last spending tip, the third spending tip, tip is Enjoy the rest. You're like, what am I supposed to enjoy it? Yes, you should enjoy it. But I thought Christians are like all grumpy and they can never enjoy life and they're always worried about like what's going on. It's like the joy of the Lord is my strength. We should be happy. We should enjoy life. And God gives us money so that it can be enjoyed. Hear what Ecclesiastes 6 verse 6 to 8. No, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. There is Ecclesiastes 3, verse 12 to 13 says, he's, he's like, this is my conclusion. There is nothing better than to be happy and to enjoy myself as long as I can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. You see, your job, your work is a gift from God. You're supposed to be working. But what is the fruit of my labor? It is my salary my harvest, whatever it might be. And it's like, to enjoy that is also a gift from God. Now, it's not about materialism. It's not just about me and what I can do with everything I gather because I've already given to God's kingdom. I've already saved. Now I'm in a place where I don't have to worry, where we don't have to fight about our finances because we've got a budget. By the way, if you don't have a budget, you're a couple of years too late already. You should have done that a long time ago. You need to have a budget, especially if you're, if you're married. Otherwise, you're always going to fight about money. You need to have that budget. But now I've got my money, my budget with my giving, 10%, my saving, 10%. And guess what I do with the 80%? I live off the rest and I enjoy it. And maybe one day you have enough to enjoy that you can up those two. You can up your giving. You can up your saving. But let's enjoy it. Living within this budget means that I'm not spending what I don't have. You see, this is a worldwide epidemic. We look at Eskimo and like, why do they have so much debt? But look at South Africa, they have debt. They're like, oh, it's Africa. America has an insane amount of debt, the USA. Insane. And now we get to a smaller thing and we look at families. Businesses have debt, families have debt. 
can't remember the exact number. I read it a while ago. But if I remember correctly, South Africans spend something like 76% of their income to just cover their debt. And I years ago read an article that in the U.S. people spend more than 100% of their salaries on debt. So they have to make debt in order to pay debt. It's the only way they can survive. Why? Because we didn't save 10, give 10, save 10, and live on the rest. We're trying to live of something we do not have because we've got discontentment, we've got greed because our focus were not on the right things. And this allows my money to still have a bigger purpose. Not just me gathering and spending. My money's got a purpose of making a difference in the world. So this is the principle I wanted to share with you today. We need to be good stewards of what God has given us. And I think the first step is to go to the drawing board and to look at our finances again. So like, how can I change my budget so that I can give 10, I can save 10, and I can live on 80? And we trust God for that. It brings us closer to God. So let me close with this. Spending your money in a wise way leads to contentment and joy and drives stress, fear, and anxiety out. Like, that sounds cool. Let's say it the other way around. Spending your money in a foolish way leads to stress, fear, anxiety, broken marriages, pain, all kinds of craziness. And it will drive out peace, contentment, and joy. So let's make a decision to spend our money wise, not foolishly. Let's pray. Jesus, it's so easy for us to think that money is just money and we just spend it and we don't care. But you care about it because it has a potential to put our focus back on you. It has the potential to change the world. It has the potential to help people meet Jesus. It has the potential to bring joy to my life, but only when we use it in a wise way. And I pray for every person here today, God, every person that's listening to this online, every person that's sitting in this building, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to be faithful, good, responsible stewards of every sin you have entrusted to us. May we find contentment in what you've entrusted to us. May we be so faithful with the little that you will increase it to more. I also pray for anyone going through a financial difficult time and I pray, God, that you will show them how to get out of that crisis, that you will give them wisdom to not continue spending what they don't have, that you'd give them wisdom to restrict themselves and to live within the means. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.